Hey, Will, like I normally do, I just want to take a moment to tell our listeners to make sure they hit us up on social, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you might see us. Make sure you're sending us something. Also, you can email us directly at AppalachiaMeetsWorld at gmail.com. If you get a moment, shoot us a line, give us some feedback. Yeah, and wherever you listen to the podcast, make sure you subscribe to Appalachia Meets World. It just helps our podcast, but it also helps you know when we're releasing a new episode. You know, and is it a short way I put it, but I mean, you know, I've had the privilege and the blessing to, to, to travel and live in a lot of beautiful different places in my life, and Eastern Kentucky is the most beautiful place in the world, in my opinion. Appalachia Meets World, podcast about place and perspective, but always Appalachian. And don't forget, Will, tonight's episode is powered by SOAR. Shaping our Appalachian region. If you're an entrepreneur out there, especially in Eastern Kentucky, check them out. Appalachian meets world. We're back. It's Will. And Neil. How was turkey day? I smoked a big old turkey, big old 15 pounder. You, you smoked it for 14 hours, Willie. Wow. I realize what smoking does, but I've never smoked a turkey. What what does it is it add to the flavor? Does it uh it doesn't dry it out? No, it doesn't dry it out at all. I mean, I guess depending on how you pre-treat, it, it definitely wasn't dry. I was a little worried about that because I smoked it so long. I tend to smoke things longer than the recipes say to. I I just feel like it, it it needs it. Every time I've followed a recipe that says smoke for three hours, it's never to my liking. <laughs> when so, you smoke for six? <laughs> I smoke for like six. Because I swear, man, you can't burn them. I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's my smoker. But I've never had anything that I felt like was overcooked. And I always smoke a, a longer amount of time and keep that temperature a little lower. Maybe. I don't know. You still have leftovers? Uh, No. I was going to ask you, do you have a cutoff for leftovers? I asked that because I heard the other day someone talking, supposed expert, saying that your leftovers shouldn't last throughout the weekend, meaning it shouldn't last like three to four days. But I just ate some leftover turkey a couple of days ago. <laughs> well, just like you, I, I grew up on leftovers. So <laughs> it's not like I care to eat leftovers. Right. But in this particular case, I didn't, I, we didn't have a whole lot left. Like you said, we grew up on <laughs> weeks old, weeks with a S, old <laughs> lef- leftovers. <laughs> Never heard us. And, you know, the first people that I think about when you ask that question is, of course, mom and dad, because, you know, dad's probably eating leftover ham from turkey. Uh, from uh, Thanksgiving Day today, <laughs> he's, probably, he's probably. To be honest, he's probably eating leftover ham from Easter. <laughs> it's in a cottage cheese container, you know, like the leftover. <laughs> you know, I think they'll live forever because of that. Their stomachs will never face consequences because, <laughs> because of their ability to eat old food. He's probably right. That's where we get it from. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> We're immune to all disease because of leftovers growing up, growing up on leftovers. For sure. Let me ask you this. You flowing right into the Christmas holidays? I, I will say the stores, actually, everyone around me started putting up Christmas trees and Christmas lights well before Thanksgiving. It was like they just yeah. skipped Thanksgiving. I know. That's what I was about to say. I mean, Thanksgiving has become a rushed holiday because everybody is racing to Christmas lights. <laughs> yeah. My wife included. I mean, our Christmas tree was up before Thanksgiving. Before? Yes. See, that's a tradition that we have. It's it's the day after Thanksgiving. You wait in line to get your Christmas tree. I know. So, you you go with the real Christmas tree. I, I love that that your your family does that still. It's it's a great, great tradition. How 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 big is the tree you guys picked out this year? Uh, it was a ten footer. Cut it down ourselves. The- ten foot, man. That's that's impressive. I guess you just like you give your youngest kid the 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 axe and say go at it or what? How's it work? 
That's dad's job. Oh, they just sit <laughs> back and watch? <laughs> they, there's no way they could saw through that tree. <laughs> Do you get like a, a chainsaw or is it old fashioned? You grab one end, I grab the other. They don't allow you to take in any, for obvious reasons, any saws of your own. So they hand you just a little dull hacksaw. God, <laughs> that has been used probably 5,000 times. So do you think you could maybe sneak in a sharpener, blade sharpener? <laughs> like, you, you could possibly do that. I don't know. I don't, with these hacksaws that they give you, I don't think it's going to help much. Man, that's, that's awesome. I, I, I love that, that you guys do that. I, I, so does it become like a cheering session for dad though? Like it, it does the kids like standing in the background, like, come on, dad, you can do it. We, we, uh, it does. We, <laughs> we, uh, there's a lot of pressure too. Like I get halfway through, they keep me going because I really want to stop. Like it, it's, it's hard. <laughs> I, bet. I really want to stop. The only reason I keep going is because I got some kids watching me. <laughs> the base on that's got to be pretty thick, I would think. I mean, oh, yeah. my God. But with all your that we've spoken about before, your July 4th celebration, your haunted barn on Halloween now. Yeah, Christmas. I you would, I figured you would Christmas vacation your house. <laughs> Christmas, I guess, gets the short end of the stick. It's It's kind of low key. It's it's all about giving, Will. We're focused on others during Christmas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Well, we'll talk about Christmas, I'm, I'm sure, some more. Obviously, as we get closer to it, might have our annual Christmas poem. Looking forward to that one. But I did have a little app news. Yeah, what you got? Yeah, just two quick things. One is um, starting today and throughout the weekend, 160 applicants. Appalachian students from 16 colleges and universities will convene in D.C. for ARC's 22nd Annual Appalachian Teaching Project Symposium. The Appalachian Teaching Project is administered by East Tennessee State University, and since 2001, over 2,650 students from 22 colleges and universities across Appalachia have participated Specifically, it's an applied research training program for college students to support economic development initiatives for their own communities. As part of the ATP, students are enrolled in a four-credit academic course to design and lead research projects in Appalachian communities to address the regional challenges. And then as the finale of the course, they convene in D.C., which is this today and this weekend, to present their work. At the symposium, I just think it's an awesome thing that the ARC has and have been doing since 2001, really, to get people interested in economic development, interested in community work, really diving into the challenges and coming up with innovative solutions. You can check it out on the ARC website, arc.org. It's the Appalachian Teaching Project, or you can follow them on social media all weekend, including today. So check it out. The other small piece of news relevant to students as well is an Eastern Kentucky high school pitch contest through Starter Labs. Um, Will, well, hold on. Hold on. You said pitch contest. Like, is it like see how hard you can throw? I mean, what, what do you mean pitch? <laughs> it's pitching your business idea. It's oh, for high yeah. school students to see who has the best business idea and they can win cash money. Nice. So they are calling all high school students in Eastern Kentucky. It is the Starter Labs and Invest 606. They are partnering with the Governor's School for Entrepreneurs, the University of the Cumberlands, and Do Good Brands for the second Eastern Kentucky High School Business Pinch Competition. So, awesome, uh, man. Yeah, it's open to all high school Students living in the 606 and to enter a high school team or individual just needs to complete a short online application and submit a 60 second video of their business pitch idea by, this is the key, December 7th. By the end of the day on December 7th is the deadline. So if you want to check that out, it's invest606.org backslash starter hyphen labs. 
Did you ever have anything like that? I know you had some business ideas when you were in high school. How cool would it have been if you had this pitch contest? Yeah, we never had anything like that, Will. But when you mention it, I think back to all my great business ideas as I was growing up. And, you know, probably the most successful one I had occurred as a fourth grader. And it would have been nice to be able to uh, to have a little extra in the piggy bank to really have branded myself a little better. You know, I was I was uh, selling candy at school during that time. I'd walk down to the local a gas station that was just outside the neighborhood and and load up on warheads and assortment of sour things i'd buy them for like a nickel take them to school and sell them for like two for a dollar i mean i was killing it back then my profit margin was insane and if i had a pitch contest that i could put a little extra money in the piggy bank could have really gone places you know, speaking of that, obviously our guest today is right in line with exactly what we're talking about here, exactly with the news of the day. It's Invest 606. Jeff Marietta. Yeah. Looking forward, been looking forward to this one for a while, Will, of uh, follow Jeff and what he's done in eastern Kentucky and uh, in the 606 area for the last four or five years. You know, he's a hard, hardworking guy that I don't know if he ever takes a day off, but he's really focused on community and doing good, uh, as we say. Uh, he's a doer for sure, and uh, he continues to take on projects and develop new ideas all throughout the 606. And I got nothing but praise for him. Looking forward to talking to him. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. Invest 606 has its own cohort and its own pitch contest. I know the news of the day was for high school students, which it's the second annual. It's great that they're bringing that into the high schools, uh, bringing that in as, as entrepreneurship in as a younger age, like you mentioned, if you had that back in the day. I look forward to hearing more. He's got his hand in, in a lot of things. He wears a lot of hats and I look forward to hearing about that as well as the Invest 606. So you want to get him on here? Yeah, unless you got anything else to discuss beforehand, man, let's uh, let's jump right into it. All right, let's do it. On the show today, we have a very special entrepreneur and guest, Jeff Marietta. He is an entrepreneur in residence at the University of the Cumberlands, the executive director of the Appalachian Impact Fund. He's also the co-founder of the Harlem Beer Company, the founder and CFO of Invest 606, which is a business accelerator and pitched competition in central Appalachia. He, was, he has also been founder and CEO of Mountain Tech Media and Trillium Ventures which is a community development real estate company, really reviving Main Street buildings in central Appalachia. Also want to point out he was the former executive director of the Pine Mountain Settlement School in Harlan, Kentucky. As you can tell, he wears many hats. I only mentioned a few, but Jeff, we want to thank you for being on the show. We appreciate your time and really thanks for being here. Yeah, no, thanks, uh, Will and Neil. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. So we want to ask you the first question that we ask all our guests. Neil and I, our family, like most Appalachians, are big on tradition. Our family's big on tradition as well. And one of those traditions we have, we have appetizers at the holidays. We have this giant spread of appetizers bigger than the actual meal. So we wanted to ask you first thing, do you have a favorite appetizer or just holiday dish? Yeah, I mean, stuffing, I wouldn't even call that an appetizer. Um, I would call that main course. Um, so if I'm going to go with, <laughs> I'm going to go with an appetizer, just good old green beans, you know, sauteed in butter. So good. I could go on after that. But I think as long as you have stuffing, those green beans and some turkey, I think you're going to be pretty good. <laughs> this is a record, Will. This is yeah. two, like, I don't know five people in my life that like green beans. And our last two guests, their go-to has been green beans. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's so strange, but <laughs> awesome at the same time. I love it. Strangely amazing. So, Jeff, you know, one of the main reasons why we wanted to have you on is to talk about Invest 606. 
But can you just talk about, you know, we spoke earlier about kind of your background. Can you talk about what led you to Eastern Kentucky and then really get into uh, Invest 606, why you thought it important to start that organization there in the 606? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so, I mean, basically, I married a girl from Eastern Kentucky. Which right. is here. <laughs> but the story is a little bit longer than that. And I'll try to do a quick summary of it because it actually leads directly into why I launched Invest 606. So, I, as I said before, I grew up in a mining town in northern Minnesota. We mined iron ore there. I wanted to be a park ranger. I went to school out, the, out in Montana to study forestry, fell in love with teaching, and ended up in a program called Teach for America that put me out on the Navajo reservation as a high school special ed teacher in Northwest New Mexico. And there I met my wife, Skye, um, and her family. She grew up in Berea, but her family's all from Harlan. Her mom taught at Pine Mountain Settlement School when it was a regular boarding school for mountain children. So we, she had grown up real poor at one of seven and ended up going to Yale. And she said, you know, apply to Harvard. I'm going to apply to Harvard. Let's do this. You know, everyone who goes there is not super rich or super smart, you know, well, a lot of them are super rich, but, <laughs> you know, but not all of them. <laughs> and so we, we both applied and we, um, we packed up our moving van, went to Pine Mountain Settlement School, got married and then moved up to Cambridge. And I I started my MBA at Harvard Business School. She started her PhD at the Ed School, Education School. And then I was there for 11 years, just soaking it all up. C crazy cultural sort of, you know, transition because I'd always kind of grown up mostly in rural areas my whole life. And then um, towards the end of it, I uh, got my PhD and, and then started a software company and just kind of immersed myself in just the startup world, you know, and, and this is in like the 2010s to early teen, 2000 teens. And it was just, you know, before, I mean, things are crazy now with crypto and all that, but um, it was kind of maybe right leading up to that. So it was still a little bit of a sane world, I think. And we had two young kids and um, my mother-in-law got very sick with bone cancer. And so we moved back to Eastern Kentucky and I took over as executive director at Pine Mountain Settlement School, um, a place that, you know, had struggled for, for decades, really, um, to try to find its way after it, you know, wasn't a school anymore. Came here, you know, sold most of my shares in the software company, had a little bit of money to invest, then was like, where, where do the entrepreneurs get together? Where do like the business owners get together? You know, like where, where's the, the meetups and the, the accelerators and, you know, certainly this place, you know, I've been coming down here for, you know, since early 2000s. So I had a sense of it and I'm like, well, certainly a place that, you know, has struggles with unemployment is going to have the basic kind of things that places like Boston and other places do. And, and it just surprised me that not that they didn't even have anything close to it. So the place that should have it the most had the least. And, you know, I'm sure that resonates with what you all see all the time growing up. So then I went and I tried to go to like ARC. I tried to go to like the CDFIs. I tried to go to these various entities and say, hey, you know, let's do this. In the, and they were like asking the question, well, how do we get capital to investable businesses? And I'm like, it's very simple. You, you have like a pitch competition and you give these businesses free money as an incentive to kind of, you know, show up. And then, you know, if you want investors to be there, then you can tell them here, here's the date and here they can show up. And there, and it was just roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. Oh, we can't do that. Can't do it this way. Can't do it that way. Even though there's millions of dollars of federal government and state government money pouring into the area funding, I don't know what, no results, you know? And so finally I just decided I'm going to go do this. And so I went to, I had a chance encounter actually with the James Graham Brown foundation, which is Kentucky's largest um, private foundation. They had, they don't really, they hadn't really funded anything in Eastern Kentucky. Um, they had, you know, built a couple buildings, you know, help with some capital projects like at maybe Pikeville and, and Cumberland's and Williamsburg, but hadn't really ever done any kind of human capital kind of investment. And so I said, well, here, here's this idea and, you know, wrote up a proposal and all that. And so they were one of the first funders for what then became Invest 606. Um, and that was in 2000, 2018, 19. 
I want you to explain for, for some of our listeners that may not know what an accelerator is, but explain sure. that. But but on, on top of that, you know, you mentioned Invest 606, obviously is about investment, but it, with an entrepreneurial ecosystem, you talked about being in Boston and seeing that there, you know, a, a, an entrepreneurship or, or entrepreneurs is only as good as really the network or the ecosystem that they are in. So how has Invest 606 tried to also build that network beyond just the investment? Oh, and I mean, that's a great question. And that's that's the whole reason you do it, right? Because it's the network. It's the it's not the prize money. It's not the type of support and all the, the things. It's that network you have. I'll get into that in, in one minute, but let me just give you the basics. So there's there's business incubators and there's business accelerators. Incubators literally incubate a business. They birth a business. So someone comes in with an idea and at the end of it, they can launch the business. An accelerator accelerates an already existing business. And so what is different with Invest 606 from other accelerators that you might find other places is we're, we accelerate small businesses. So we're very different than what you'll find in anywhere else. Usually accelerators are going after the big scalable high tech, you know, the venture back. Yeah, exactly. And it's not, yeah. And it's not, that's not, that's not what we need. And it's not the businesses that it's not the ecosystem here. So that was one adaptation I immediately made from the typical accelerator um, that you would find other places and, and what you what invest 606 is. Um, and so we basically target small businesses. We've had a one or two tech. I'm not against the tech thing, of course, you know, but we, you, you got to meet people where they're at and, and what the community wants and needs, not what you want. And so what we do is we, um, we're in our fourth year now, um, our fourth cohort, and businesses apply in, in August and September, and then they are selected, you know, using a panel of independent judges. I don't have any say in it. Um, and then we have finalists, um, eight to 12 finalists, and those finalists go through an accelerator program over six months that includes a kickoff, uh, a demo day, and a final pitch. So only three in-person events, and that's very different than what you'll find other places too, because we had to adapt it to you know a rural community where people are driving three hours just for one event. And so we reimburse all travel expenses. They have to earn points to qualify to, fi- to be in the final pitch. And they earn points by attending trainings or mentoring sessions. And each one of those hours is worth 25 points. So generally they have to do 12 to 15 hours of training or mentoring or attend a conference. And we give them $1,000 that they can choose how to spend however they want towards that training and mentoring. And on top of that, we also give them up to $5,000 for accounting and marketing services. And then they go through the program and in April, they pitch for a $15,000 grand prize, $8,000 second prize and a $4,000 third prize. And then anyone who doesn't actually win gets $1,000. And the cool thing is now we've got 42 alumni slash finalists. So we have nine finalists this year. We have 32 alumni. Total cumulative revenue is 4.1 million. Over 100, represents over 175 employees. Two thirds are women owned. Um, so these businesses, you know, they're knocking it out of the park. And, you know, in, in London, we have, you know, Oak Hill Gardens and Josh Samples was an alumni, you know, the great, amazing venue that he has. We've had, you know, meat processing, bakeries, uh, you name it. Um, but you don't focus on a specific industry. No. It runs the gamut. No, because how could you, you right. it'd be almost, I mean, you, I would say that if, if you were going to focus on one industry in, you know, central Appalachia, it'd probably be local food and agriculture and, and maybe tourism. You probably could, you know, have a, 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 a segment that focuses on that because that's probably the most types of businesses we see, but we really, we really don't put any parameters on the type of business. It's really like what us, um, stage are you at you know are you too new are you too well established and then now you know we've got 42 uh business owners from across the region and the network that you see like the graphic design uh print shop they're doing you know signs for the businesses the the t-shirt printer um up in ashland's doing t-shirts for the businesses but the more important thing is they're like yeah when i use this to run payroll or you got to check this out or check that out, you know, don't make this mistake. That's the kind of stuff that like is, and just, 
it's so lonely, you know, being an entrepreneur, just being there for other people when they're having a hard time or need support, you know, that's what it's all about. You know, that network's so important, but some, some people, especially where we're from, don't realize that that network's there. You know, I, it took me moving away from the region to really appreciate what the region has to offer. What do you tell entrepreneurs that maybe have grown up there, spent their whole life there, still there, or trying to start a business? What do you tell them that what they have there in the 606 is as good as or if not superior than other places? Are, are there certain things that you see that stand out? Yeah, I mean, I tell people investing in Eastern Kentucky is like investing in Amazon.com in 1997, you know, <laughs> and is, is the short way I put it. But I mean, you know, I've had the privilege and the blessing to, to, to travel and live in a lot of beautiful different places in my life. And Eastern Kentucky is the most beautiful place in the world, in my opinion. And so, you know, I lead with you I lead with the assets and, you know, and remind people because people do when you grow up in an area, you know, when I was in Montana, even in northern Minnesota, this is which is beautiful for three and a half months of the year. <laughs> but, uh, you know, people need to be reminded of how beautiful and special the place where they live is. And I think then that comes up because there is a deep amount of love and, and pride um, that's well-earned, <laughs> yeah. you know, from the pe people who live here. And I think it's just leading with, you know, this is, this is a special place. And I think for me, you know, I'm an outsider insider. My I'm raising my kids here. My kids are named Harlan and Perry, not because we ever thought we would live here, but um, it, but in in sort of honor of the of the area, and I think hearing that someone like me, not that my opinion should matter a lot, but just an outsider who's been in other places saying, "Hey, what you have here is really special." I think that definitely can help. Yeah, that's a, that's such a good point. I mean, we hear all the time young people can't wait to get out of the area. You, you know, I'm sure your wife have grown yeah. up in the area, even even thought that um, at some point in her life, she was she, ready to get away. But. She had to be convinced to move back here. And then part of the reason, it's interesting when you talk with her, you know, part of the reason she just didn't want to come back is because she never, she, she never thought she'd meet someone who would want to move back, who would want to move to Eastern Kentucky. And I'm like, that makes so much sense. Because if you're like, if you're trying to find that person who wants to move back to maybe your hometown that you love, that you know, probably isn't going to happen, then you kind of need to shut that off. And like, just take it out of your brain and be like, nope, that's never going to be I'm never going to move back. Because it's too hard to get your hopes up and then not be able to, to make it back home. And I hope this question isn't really off topic, but no, you know, you spent time in academia, you spent time in Boston, obviously you spent time in some larger cities, but how did you see that urban rural divide, especially now living where you live? Is it justified that divide or uh, what, what we find out on this show one of the reasons why we started this podcast was to also travel outside the region to share our culture while also experiencing other cultures. We found that there are a lot more similarities than differences, and people don't understand that. But I know there's this urban-rural divide, and how, how have you seen that? I, I mean, I so I think that like so many divides in America, it's politicized and then exacerbated by the media, you know, and so that's where the divides come from. And so... Where do you see the divides come up? You see them come up in politics. You see them come up in, in media where they can pit people against each other to get more views and more commercials. Yeah, I mean, even here, you know, I have great conversations with people in the West End of Louisville and like, we're just talking about the same problem, you know, but different locations. Where the divide really is, is the people who have power money, you know, that that's where it's emanating from. And so, you know, when you look at the people who, who do have political power, who who are, you know, extremely wealthy, they, they're the ones in my mind who are really sort of exacerbating and creating creating policies, creating talking points that really pit the rural communities here in eastern Kentucky against and really, when you look at it, you look at the, I mean, it's it's as plain as day when you see those, you know, those voting maps, right? 
and and everyone made a deal about oh well look you know land land doesn't vote you know when it shows like all this red you know in rural areas and all the blue in the in the in the metropolitan areas and that's where the divide comes from it comes from a you know duopoly political system that just enriches itself and takes advantage of people yeah i'm glad you made that point about louisville i, I mean you, you know, when, when it comes to challenges, we all suffer the same challenges that the solutions are going to look different because of the assets that we have in our own areas. But the challenges are, are seemingly the same often. And, and we all because we all kind of want the same thing. Right. We all want like good quality local schools. We all want like affordable quality health care. We all want, you know, nice places that are, are affordable to, to to eat out, to, to travel to cultural attractions. And we want jobs that are career worthy, you know, that pay a wage that allows you to, you know, at least support your kids and family and enjoy life. That was often in the coal industry where in the 606, you know, we're starting to get into the movement into more, a more diversified economy. And obviously invest 606 is helping to do that. But historically our region, our culture has been very risk adverse. How have you seen the culture in regards to entrepreneurship in the 606 and, yeah. and trying to institute a, a culture of entrepreneurship with Invest 606? Yeah, I mean, I would agree, you know, generally. And, and I think, you know, it. I, I saw it. I see it in other rural communities. You know, I saw it in, in Hibbing where I grew up. You know, um, one, there's just not a lot of assets, right? There's not a lot of inherited wealth. If for lack of a better word. And the people who can be the riskiest are the people who can always fall back into mommy and daddy's, you know, <laughs> bank account, you know. I mean, those are the kids I met out in Cambridge. They're like, where are you working this summer? Oh, I'm going to do my startup. I'm like, and you're not going to earn any money. And, you know, you're going to take that unpaid internship, you're, you know, because they don't have to work for money. And so I don't think it's, really super unique in communities that don't have a ton of inherited wealth. But at the same time, I do think the boom and bust nature of communities that rely, you know, on have historically relied on, you know, one industry, um, there is definitely much more caution taken because they know, you know, the, the good times are good, but then the bad times are bad. So, you know, be conservative, save the money, can everything, you know, always have a big garden, you know, the things that are going to get you through the hard times. And so how I see that come out is, you know, people generally are very averse to debt and, and also just, you know, the lending industry and the bank industry helps them be averse because they are, you know, it's so hard to get a loan. And so one thing we've done with Invest 606 and, and Appalachian Impact Fund is provided very low interest and during COVID 0% interest, but I'm talking one and a half, two and a half percent loans that interest is reimbursable if you make all your payments on time. Um, and and non-securitized, so we don't take a lien against anything. And so we help those businesses. We say, hey, look, I've even had finalists, one from where you are living, you know, say to me in the beginning, I'm not taking on any debt. You know, and then as we got towards Kishi, saw this potential to expand their business significantly, buying buying some new equipment, and was like, actually, that ten thousand dollar, you know, zero percent loan um, looks really good. And I'm like, yeah, hey, look. It's not even a loan. We're not even charging interest, you know, which if you default and we, we've had, you know, a few people default, we're not going to, you know, come and take your stuff. And what I tell people in sort of the philanthropic social impact investment sector is if you're, if you're not defaulting enough, then you're not doing your, a job. You're not putting out loans to those businesses that are risky enough where you're defaulting. If you have a 90, like I remember the SBA guy caught up after the floods and he's like, you know, our emergency loan has, a, a, we're, we have a, only a 1.4% default rate. And well, guess what? You know, they don't give out loans to any businesses that are right at that, you know, inflection point where that loan probably could have saved their business, you know, but they're not going to be take on that risk. And so I think that's where organizations like Invest 606, like the Appalachian Impact Fund need to come in where that gap is to provide businesses with that capital so they can accelerate their business. When you Google Jeff Marietta, 
and it pops up entrepreneur in residence at the University of the Cumberlands. How did you get there and what does that entail? <laughs> so when we received this grant funding from James Grant Brown Foundation, we had sort of a problem. It was a good problem. Who was going to be sort of the steward of the money that was used? And then who would sort of be a anchor institution that could kind of be a part of what Invest 606 was going to become? And so I had great conversation with the you know, people at the James Brown Brown Foundation. And they said, you know, find a university and find a fiscal sponsor. And so the Foundation for Appalachian Kentucky, based in Hazard, um, which I was on the board of and was perfectly set up. They had been in existence for four years to serve as a fiscal sponsor. So we moved the money there. I stepped off the board then. And then we needed a university is really what it came down to. And so we talked about the various universities and I heard really good things about the, the new president at that time, Dr. Cockerham at the University of the Cumberlands. And so I went and talked to him and it was like immediately like, we just hit it off and he was showing me all the things that they were doing. They had already made big investments in the revitalization of Williamsburg. And then I don't know if you all have been down to Williamsburg lately, but the downtown has really changed, you know, in the last three years. And that's where I live now. And so the way we structured it is we said, well, let's just, let's call this position entrepreneur in residence because that's in the industry. That's things other universities have, you know, it kind of makes sense. And so I, I, but I'm not employed by the university other than to teach. So I teach one class, but I'm employed as kind of an adjunct. And so I'm con contracted through the foundation is how the, all that relationship works. It's great. It provides, you know, it's, it provides some stop gaps, you know, and good fiscal stewardship of these funds, but also um, some accountability, but also a way for me to be connected with students and young people as well. So I teach, I run this, the university's student business pitch contest. And then I also help out businesses downtown with, we have a whole internship program where students come in and they learn digital marketing and social media. And then we offer those services to businesses downtown for free, um, especially new businesses. So, and then, you know, the university every once in a while will be like, hey, can you lead this committee? And so I, I'm now help lead the business forum conference planning committee at the business school. So it's a, it, you know, we have an MOU, <laughs> you know, it's an MOU. It's not a contract or anything. And, and it's just that trust that, that we've established, you know, now in the fourth year and the university is, you know, I can't speak enough about, you know, where the direction that they're going and as well as the foundation for Appalachian Kentucky, two great partners. Neil and I talk about doers on this show all the time. It's important to be a doer. You know, you can talk about things all you want, but it's very important to be a doer. And you obviously are a doer, Jeff. And I think it's amazing that, you, you know, starting an accelerator, it happens in all bigger cities. You see it all the time. I think it's extremely important that you've shown that what can happen elsewhere can happen in the 606 as well. And, and, and not only happen, but be really successful. So on top of that, and, and being a doer, I wanted to also give a shout out to the Harlan Beer Company, which, <laughs> is in Har which is in Harlan County or Harlan, Kentucky. I wanted to ask you why a brewery and why Harlan? And then on top of that, you know, Neil and I will give a shout out to Pineville on every single episode if we can. So we also wanted to ask you about the Moonbow in Pineville, the, the great coffee shop there. Yeah, yeah. So when I first moved to Harlan, I, I lived on the north side of Pine Mountain at Pine Mountain Settlement School, which is, you know, very rural, 35 minutes from near stoplight. And I would have to come to Harlan to do business. And I, I, I there was a phone no, call because you had no service. Yeah, right. And, and, and there was, there was nowhere to meet. There was nowhere to sit. And I complained about it and complained about it and complained about it. And then finally, I'm like, well, I guess I'm just going to have to open a coffee shop, you know, because <laughs> no one else is going to do it. So that's where one of the one of the first projects, you know, that that we did was I, I bought this building um, and it was a long, funny story that's for another time. But about the building that we're in right now, when we started kind of renovating it and turn, just turned into a very simple coffee shop with free Wi-Fi, then, you know, you could start to see people meeting here, people coming here, you know, from all walks of life. And it was just beautiful. Um, still is. And then I ended up taking a group of entrepreneurs um, as a part of my early sort of organizing efforts 
up to Louisville, we did a, kind of an exchange. So I took a group of like nine people, you know, the owner of the Wrigley, the owner of Yumi uh, Coffee and Tea, you know, uh, uh, some some of the businesses that we all know of had kind of were on the early scene, you know, seven, eight, nine years ago. And I ended up meeting a couple of people there, one of whom was Gil Holland, who did a lot of redevelopment in the new, what is now the new Lou area and in the West End as well. And his dad was born in Harlan County. And so he and I started talking and then out of the blue in like, I guess Harlan voted wet to go wet in 2019. 2018 I think yeah and so then out of the blue Gil emailed me he's like Harlan County Beer Company and I told him I said that's crazy you know <laughs> you know, this is not the kind of stuff that I like to do you know I'm more of a coffee shop you know cafe kind of guy you know <laughs> And he said, no, you know, let's, let's, let's take a look. Let's see, you know, let's try to push this forward. And so he came in and, you know, we started talking and we found a building and, you know, then it, it just kind of went from there and we, we raised $350,000 on WeFunder, um, which is a regulation crowdfunding site. So people actually, we have 355 different investors, many of whom are Harlan Countyans, you know, many of whom don't drink. One guy stopped me, you know, in the middle of the road, you know, told me he wants to invest. I'm like, Ray, you gotta, you gotta go through, through WeFunder. He's like, no, no, I'm not going through any internet thing. I'm gonna write you a check right now. Shake your hand. So, you know, it's just awesome to see. Yeah. And, 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 and it's simple. People love their community and they want to see investment in it. And people knew us because we had the coffee shop and they knew that we could take something that was abandoned, you know, and sat vacant for, you know, a decade and turn it into something. And so, I think people started to get behind it. You know, of course, everyone still thought it wasn't going to happen. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, it took us three years and and here we are. And we, we tried to, you know, we used all local Harlan County contractors. You know, I basically general contracted it myself, which is, I didn't want to do again, but you kind of have to. And so that's, you know, that's how it kind of all came about. And I got to give a shout out to, to Pineville too. talk about, you know, the early, early leader in revitalization of downtowns. I mean, the work that that Ural's hometown has done over the last 10 years is just incredible. And they, they just keep going at it. And you got some great restaurants there, sauced and, you know, the butcher's pub. And then we we grabbed a little space that, you know, the butcher's pub had made into a little like experiment kind of spot. That's a, that's a commercial kitchen, you know, even though it's 80 square feet and we have our little coffee shop there, Moonbow Pineville, I guess is what we call it. If you want your cappuccino, you can get it in downtown Pineville now. That's awesome. I, I had a couple uh, rapid fire questions for you in honor of Thanksgiving, turkey or ham? Turkey. Turkey, turkey. Good answer. Good answer. Since you have the Harlan County Beer Company favorite beer. IPA. Urban versus rural. What do, what do you prefer? Oh, rural. <laughs> <laughs> no question there. Yeah, if you like to hunt and fish, living in a city is not going to be What's a good up? place for you. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite place in Appalachia? Pine Mountain Settlement School. I mean, it. that's number one, but there's a big tie at number two. What's number two? No, oh, I, I mean, there would be a lot of, I mean, so uh, Breaks Interstate Park, Kingdom Come State Park, Downtown Hazard, Maysville, you know, Downtown Ashland, Downtown Corbin, uh, Big South Fork, Jarfly Brewery in Somerset, Broken Throne Brewery in Pikeville, Blue Raven, which closed in Pikeville was so good, the Wrigley, Downtown Corbin. Uh, local honey downtown yeah. london yeah very a very political answer there for number two <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah you covered the whole, the whole 606 <laughs> one of the reasons why we started this podcast is really dispel a lot of the misconceptions what do you think the biggest misconception is about appalachia that they don't like outsiders i think that's the biggest thing that i've run into and people who are outsiders they always ask me that question well what do you think about being an outsider and i'm like I don't think anything about it, you know, like I try to tell those people, look, if you just treat everyone with respect and you're not trying to like, you know, do poverty tours or whatever else you're trying to get out and you just go there to experience the unique culture and the natural beauty and you're, you're going to be fine. I would say that and that and this goes two and two, the two things, the other big misperception is, is that 
the whole coal thing. And I just, I'm so sick and tired of people asking me about coal. Like, you know, it's just, I don't want to talk about it. And people here don't want to talk about it, you know? And just honestly, when I see a coal truck, I see a job. I, I know other people see global warming or climate change. You know, coal has actually made a little bit of a comeback here in Harlan. There's, there's more mines open now than there have been, but it's never going to be, you know, what it once was, but it's always going to be a part of the culture and the community here. So like, just get over it, you know? And so that's the other thing that the two biggest misperceptions that I see as someone who kind of is an outsider, but also, you know, married to a, a Kentucky girl from the region. Yeah, great answer. Very important question. We ask a lot of people this, but biscuits or cornbread? Oh, I'm going to have to go biscuits. Okay. Okay. No, no wrong answer there. That is a tough one though. <laughs> it is a tough one. I, I, I just say both. I mean, that's, that's a good answer. It is. Yeah, exactly. Depends on where you're at and what time of day it is. In tradition of our podcast, we ask all of our guests the same question, but just out of curiosity, what's the first thing that comes to mind or the first thing that rolls off the tongue when you hear the word Appalachia? Uh, waves like mountains or mountains like waves. In 2002, when my wife, she and I, she and I met and fell in love, she says, I know where we're going to get married. And we went out to Pine Mountain Settlement School and then a friend of hers um, from here took us to Creech Overlook at Kingdom Come State Park. And you get up on top of Pine Mountain, you look north towards Hazard and, and just north. And it's just, oh my God, it's, un, it's breathtaking. Just mountain after mountain after mountain after mountain after mountain that just look like ocean waves. Yeah, great answer. It is the most beautiful place on earth. I, yeah. One last question that we have, and this is a question that we ask everyone as well, our, our podcast, we kind of grounded on place and perspective. So place place is really important for Appalachia. It's really important for us. But one question we want to ask you, just where do you call home? What makes it home for you? What makes it unique? I call Williamsburg is home for me. My kids go to the K-12 school there in Williamsburg City. And I was just at a thanks, the Thanksgiving dinner that the school provides for free for all the students and their parents. And like, that's what home is, you know, it's a place where you're raising your family and you know, you're, it's, it just, that's for me where it's centered. Second home would be Harlan, you know, that's for me here. And I, I, Sky and I talk about, we always talk, Oh, you know, <laughs> should we move to Harlan? Should we not? You know, but I think, you know, Williamsburg is, is going to be, our, our home for, for the foreseeable future. It's a good answer. It's always, it's always great to hear uh, even people from outside the region, different perspectives on where, where, where they consider home and why they consider it home. So we wanted to just thank you for being on the show. We want to thank your wife for bringing you to the region. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Thanks Scott for that. Thank you for being a doer. Really thank you for all you're doing in the region, throughout the region. And uh, just thank you for being on the show. We appreciate it. Yeah, man. I, I appreciate what you guys are doing too. Talk about doers, your, your, your podcast and you guys have been committed and, and stayed the course and just, it's awesome what you're doing. When you come down to Harlan, let me know. I'd love to, you know, get you guys a beer and some lunch or dinner or whatever. Just, you know, shoot me an email or, or text or anything and just let me know and, and we'll meet up here and have a good meal. Thanks for having me on. All right. Thank you. Thanks. All right. This Thanks is fun. Thanks, guys. Man, Will, I said it earlier, but uh, we talk all the time about doers on here. A lot of people have great ideas and want to push them through, but very few people actually go through with it. You know, Jeff Marietta is continuing to go through with it in a wide range of, uh, uh, of business types. I know you said it earlier, he wears a lot of hats. I'm encouraged to learn a lot more about him and, and look forward to all the many, many projects that he's gonna have a hand in throughout Eastern Kentucky and, and, and other parts of Appalachia. So incredible interview, incredible guest to have on. Again, I'm, I'm encouraged by, by what he's been able to accomplish so far. Look forward to the future.
Yeah, definitely. We talk all the time the importance of diversifying the economy in Appalachia, in a lot of small small towns. There's no better way to do it in my eyes than entrepreneurship and Invest 606, what he's done there to bring it into Eastern Kentucky is just that, bringing entrepreneurship to the forefront and allowing people the opportunity that they might not have once had. I'm super jealous of that title he has, Entrepreneur in Residence at the University of the Cumberlands. Yeah, I'm super jealous of that. I uh, have an app biz for you. Awesome. I mean, other than highlighting Jeff's businesses, you got another one? Well, I I did want to give another shout out to the Harlan Beer Company. We talked about that on the episode, and we'll put that in the show notes. What he's got going on there, he's got a good brand. Um, I hear some good beer, too. So if you're over in that area or if you're around those parts, check it out. But one one business that I wanted to highlight this week, we mentioned it in the intro, briefly, but Do Good Brands. It was founded by Ryan Jones in 2021. He has a lot of experience in marketing, but Do Good Brands assists consumable brands and nonprofits with ongoing business development, sales campaigns, and entrepreneurship program development. So they'll help your business establish what you need, Uh, Any entrepreneurs out there looking for logo, branding, design, anything that they need to help them with their business to uh, get up and running, Do Good Brands is there to provide some of those services. Like I said, they haven't been around for too long, but you can check them out at dogoodbrands.biz, that's B-I-Z, or uh, give them a call, 606-213-3409. All right. Well, another great episode, Will. Hope you guys will check out Jeff's businesses. Definitely check out his businesses. Check out Invest 606. He lets you know where you can find it. We'll have it in the show notes, especially if you're in the 606, have an idea. If you're a biz- already established business, if you're an entrepreneur, check him out. Jeff is a great mentor for young businesses in the area. Yes, sir. Well, without further ado, end this like you normally do. Yeah, I guess, Neil, we can end it like we usually do. Till next time. Peace. I'm up in the mountains again. I'm getting lighter. The air's getting thin. Now I'm facing down with a grin. I've been in the city too long. Sidewalks and buildings and singing sad songs Now I'm back up where I belong In the mountains again